Let me just say, um, during this season, we are committed to continuing to meet both in person as we believe the Lord instructs us to in scripture and online for those who are not comfortable attending in person. And so I just want to take a quick minute and remind you, you know, in this, in this time while COVID is widely spreading in our community, hey, if you're not feeling well, please stay home. Join us online, right? And if you're high risk also, please feel free just to join us online. And in fact, let me just say, if, uh, if you are in a high risk category and we can serve you in any way, we would love to help you right now by maybe by shopping or maybe by delivering groceries or really whatever you need. I encourage you, if you need help in any way, get in touch with us and we would love to get some volunteers to help you. Now, the other thing I want to let you know about before we roll into the message is this. Um, every year we do angel tree here. Uh, we have a, on the, uh, you know, a bunch of angels on the angel trees. We support local foster kids and we're going to do that again this year. But here's what we know this year is that we suspect this year there may be some families in our church or individuals in our church family. And some of you may actually need a little bit of extra help this year and actually maybe having some of your kids anonymously up on that tree could be a really big blessing for you this Christmas. And so if that's you, mark it on a blue card and say, hey, we could use some help um, or angel tree help. And one of our staff will get in touch with you. Hey, we'll keep it anonymous. Um, but we would love to, as a church family, be supporting each other during this time. So let's continue to be in prayer for our community and for all our healthcare workers and um, pray against fear and against the work of the enemy during this time. All right, let's get to what we're talking about here today. And let me just say, um, I don't know about you, but to say the least, this year has been confusing, hasn't it? It's been maybe um, disorienting been frightening. Uh, it's been disheartening in many ways. I don't know. It's not just me feeling that, right? I know a lot of you are, are feeling that too. I just feel like um, all year long, it feels like you, uh, it's just out of sync, right? And then maybe you get a week or two that kind of feels like, oh, we have some semblance of, of normal and then everything shifts again, right? I think that's just something we've all been feeling this year. I mean, there's so much, um, as I think about the year and the things that have just like messed with my mind, you have, you know, nonstop peddling of panic in basically all the media, right? And then it's been like this crazy thing where like every little allergy or tickle in your throat, you're like, oh no, oh no, right? It's like, what happened to colds and flu? Hmm, I wonder, right? And then you had this whole thing where like the official narrative changes on a dime, and you're like, okay, what's up with that, right? Um, this freaked me out a lot as I saw this started happening back in like April. The censorship of free speech by tech companies, you're like, whoa, what's going on here, right? So it's not okay in America anymore more to share a dissenting opinion from the narrative that's changed three times already? What's, what's going on with that? That honestly... Uh, it's a little bit scary to me, right? And then you've got the weirdest election that I ever remember in my lifetime, right? And, and one side, like half the country and 90% of the news media are like, hey, move along, nothing else to see. The other side's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute here, right? Something seems fishy. And now it's getting ready to go to court to try to prove um, some, a, a ton of allegations, which as you listen, you're like, holy smokes. If like, that's true, that's crazy. In America, right? And so um, it makes me honestly, sometimes I'm, I've been wondering, like, are we in the end times? Because I'm seeing a lot of the puzzle pieces put in place for, for a lot of the end time scenarios that I, I've always heard about, right? And it's like, whoa, like, is Jesus coming back any minute? And I'm like, maybe, maybe. It'd be so awesome to see our Lord and Savior, wouldn't it? But then I also remember, you know, all the generations who thought like, this is it. This is it. Like it's any minute. And yet generations went by, right? 
And so there's this weird thing as Christians, right? We're called to live like any minute could be it. Like he's coming back any minute. And yet the other side is we know like actually may, or, or maybe my, my kids and grandkids and great grandkids are going to grow up on this planet, right? And that kind of feels a little bit scary right now. So how do you follow Jesus effectively in the midst of all this? I, I don't think I'm alone when I say like, this has been disheartening. This has been confusing. A lot of times, like disorienting is the best word I have for it. Like, you know, you just wake up and you feel like, what kind of, what world are we in, right? And, and, and the described, you know, new normal, whatever they're described. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't like that. How do you follow Jesus effectively in the midst of this? How do you stay sane? How do you stay strong? How do you stay hopeful? How do you stay effective in your faith? Well, I think we're going to discover a couple keys of that in the book of Exodus today as we finish up the book. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn on over to Exodus chapter 40. And we're going to finish the book of Exodus today, which to go through this long of a book of the Bible, I think is a record for our church uh, because we've done it in less than a year. And so part of that was because I told you we, we, did, uh, we only took a couple weeks and did kind of a flyby of 12 chapters, which describes the tabernacle. So in the first half of that, we looked at the design of the tabernacle. And then last week, we looked at this incredible outpouring of generosity and enthusiasm, um, just a generous lives of the people when it came to their time, their, their treasure, their talents, and the way they gave those to the work of the Lord. And so um, the conclusion of the book of Exodus comes here in chapter 40. This is what it's been leading up to, and it's an exciting moment. And remember, the reason the, the tabernacle is so exciting is it, it represents the place where God has committed that his presence will dwell in the midst of his people in just an incredible way. And so in Exodus chapter 40, verse 1, we're going to read about the completing of the work that God gave him. Verse 1, then Moses, or then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant law and put the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. So you're assembling everything now. All that stuff. You remember last week um, as they spun the fabric and don't all the gold and made all the stuff and now you're assembling it like Legos, right? My, my kids love Legos. I loved Legos. In fact, I had a ton of Legos growing up. We, we used to get them at garage sales and so um, that was one of, it was an amazing day when I got to dig out this huge bin of Legos and give them to my son and say, here you go. Have at it. And he's taken them. It's amazing. He's taken them places I never did. Like we had one of the original, I'm sorry, this is a bunny trail, but it's, it's kind of cool. So I'll go down it for a second. Um, I had the original, I didn't even know I had it, like 1970s castle set, the yellow castle, the very first one that was ever, ever made. And my son found the plans and assembled it. And like dug through this whole bin and found all the pieces. So I thought that was so cool. And he did that with a whole bunch of other sets too. We just played and built our own creative stuff. But anyway, they are assembling the tabernacle at this point. Verse six, place the, the altar of the burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Verse 9, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy or it'll be set apart to God. Verse 10, then anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Verse 11, anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. So do all this stuff I've already told you to do. I want you to, I want you to fulfill the work here. Verse 14, then they're going to set up and, and uh, initiate the priesthood. Verse 14, or 12, excuse me, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. 
Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you have anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. And verse 16, don't miss this. This is so important. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So God told him, here's how I want you to do it. Here's how you complete the work. And Moses listens carefully. And then he, he does it. He gets the people and they assemble it. They assemble the tabernacle. And then the next few verses go on talking about how the ongoing work of, of doing that to, to actually bring it to completion. Verse 33. And this section concludes this way. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. He finished the work. He was faithful to complete the work he, he started. He, he listened carefully to what God said. He, he, he listened to the word of God. And then he had faithful obedience to the word of God. And this is so important. And this is how this 3,500-year-old text applies to us today. Because Moses displays faithful obedience. And you know what? As he assembles the tabernacle, I'm guessing that work wasn't all flashy, Right? Probably a lot of that is very tedious. In fact, a lot of the design, as you, as you read through the intricate detail of this thing, very tedious, very time-consuming. Many of you have done projects where it just is, it takes so long to, to do what you're trying to do. With such specific directions, Moses listens attentively and he obeys. I don't know that this part of the work was flashy, right? A lot of times, faithfulness, Faithfulness isn't flashy. Following Jesus isn't flashy. It's mundane. And so I've got one point for you that I want you to remember here today. And, and I'm only going to give you the first half of that point right now. And that point is this, that following Jesus requires faithfulness. Following Jesus requires faithfulness. It's, it's the faithfulness to obey and walk out our faith in everyday life. It's hearing the word and doing the word. James says what? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, right? And as Jesus followers, we are called into a lifestyle of faithfulness day after day after day. And, and the truth of that is most of that isn't flashy. Most of that is fairly mundane. Most of that is small little choices that stack up to a life that's either well-lived for our Savior or that's sort of squandered, right? Many of you know people. Many of you have been radically impacted by people who just, there is nothing flashy about their life whatsoever, and yet their faithfulness impacted you in incredible ways. Some of you have a grandfather like that. Some of you have a Sunday school teacher or a youth mentor like that, that you're like, man, you know, they, it doesn't seem like they ever did like something that I would look at and go, wow, they accomplished great things, like amazing, huge things. But their faithfulness impacted you in incredible, incredible ways. And guys, honestly, the truth is most of life is that way. Most of life is us being faithful and God working through that to bring about the change he wants to see and make the impact that he wants to make in the life of others. Faithfulness is just obedience and walking out our faith in everyday life. We, we choose to be faithful. Following Jesus is about choosing to be faithful. It's about choosing to be loving, even towards, towards those that are hard to love, right? choosing to be loving, choosing to be loving towards our family, even when sometimes our family is hard to love, choosing to be truthful, choosing to live our lives in the light of truth, right? Choosing sometimes to speak up when it would be easier to keep our mouth shut, uh, choosing to love others, choosing to keep serving even when I don't feel like it. Choosing to get up and try my hardest when I want to give up and just roll over in bed, right? Choosing to live generously as a lifestyle instead of like shrinking back into like my hands being tightly clenched 
on everything, right? Um, singles, choosing to honor God in purity within my dating relationships, even though that's not what my flesh, what my, my you know, natural self is screaming out at me. Choosing to cheerfully change another diaper to cook that next meal, to load the dishwasher again, cheerfully, um, to faithfully have those spiritual conversations with my kids, to get over the awkwardness and have them, right? To be faithful in that, to faithfully love my kids and patiently discipline over and over and over, and then apologize when I lose my patience. You know, you can apologize to your kids. In fact, <laughs> you, you need to, because trust me, they are frustrating at times. And we do things as parents that aren't always Christ-like, right? You got to apologize to your kids when you lose your patience, right? Um, choosing to forgive instead of to take or hold on to an offense. You know, that's a choice of faithfulness. So many times we hang on to that unforgiveness like it's our right. No, it's a step of faithfulness. It's a step of obedience. And when you choose to forgive over and over and over again, it, it, it's obedience. It's faithfulness to our Savior. How about choosing thankfulness daily instead of operating in entitlement? It is so easy, especially as citizens of the USA. It is so easy to find ourselves drifting into entitlement. Like these are my rights. This is what I deserve. And I'm not saying it's not good to stand up for, you know, your rights as a citizen. Even, even the apostle Paul did that right in Rome. I'm not saying don't, don't stand for anything. But what I'm saying is when your heart shifts into a position of I'm entitled to a certain amount of, of pleasure and pain-free living and, you know, trouble-free life, it's a dangerous spot to find yourself in. It's a dangerous spot. And choosing thankfulness is the opposite of entitlement. As you're thankful, I mean, this is, you know, we're going into Thanksgiving week. And for, for many in the nation, probably one of the strangest and um, weirdest and, and worst, probably Thanksgivings of, uh, of their memory, right? So we're going into this. And yet thankfulness instead of entitlement, thankfulness, you know, our nation was founded on this moment of thankfulness to the provision of of our savior. It's, it's a huge thing, right? That we would be thankful that our lives would be characterized by thankfulness. That is part of the marker of a follower of Jesus is thankfulness, choosing faith over fear. You know, there's a cool verse in uh, Philippians and we quote it fairly frequently. It's like one of the, the mug verses, right? It says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we like that. I like that. Like, yeah, I want that peace that, you know, in the midst of all this craziness, this wonky, crazy year, I want to experience that peace. And then I look at my life and I'm like, eh, so many times I'm just full of anxiety. I'm not experiencing that peace. And the apostle Paul, see, so we like verse seven, but verse six is the condition. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then, so did you get that? Like you got to choose to hand anxiety over. You got to choose. And how do you do that? You don't just choose not to worry, right? You focus on God. You focus on trusting God. And that's in every situation by prayer and petition, Lord, I give this to you. Lord, I give this to you. Lord, I, I, I pray that you move in this area. Lord, I'm powerless in this area, but I trust and pray that you move. And I'm thankful. Prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's the key. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And some of you, that's just like... Like the rest of this will just be gravy, but that's like could be your takeaway right now. 
is in this, in this moment, in this month, in the rest of this year, that you would take all that stuff you've been feeling and you would turn it into prayer and trust in God. And you know, that's a step of faithfulness to following Jesus. That's how we're called to live our lives is following Jesus. I, I want to remind you something. I don't normally do this, but I, I closed with this last week in my message. And it was so powerful, such a powerful illustration. I wanted to remind you of it um, this week because I think it's worth being reminded of. And that's this. Um, in the second century AD, there was a Caesar, one of the Caesars in the Roman Empire. Christian, Christianity had been intensely persecuted just before this and had been and would be intensely persecuted after this. But still, in spite of incredible persecution, like people being fed to lions, like crazy stuff, right? You go back and read some Roman history. Read about Nero. There's crazy stuff that went on. Uh, scary stuff that, you know, puts us, uh, puts everything in perspective when we look at our lives. That's still with, you know, all the craziness are still incredibly comfortable in 2020, right? Um, Caesar, Caesar Hadrian, as he looked out and understood that this, this group that was called the way or beginning to be known as Christians, or it was almost a derogatory term, little Christ, right? And Christians, those that identify with Jesus Christ. And this movement was, was just multiplying and exploding all across the emperor. So he set out this philosopher named Aristides to see what was up with them. And here, here's what he came back with. Like, and listen, and I want you to frame this in the context of faithfulness, okay? That's why I'm reading it again, because I want you to, to hear something. Last week, we were talking about generous lives, generous hearts. But I want you to hear this in the con context of being faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of a very difficult circumstance in life. He said this, they do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. Really? Cheerfulness. In the midst of everything they're facing, in the midst of real persecution, in the midst of the fact that many of these people are desperately poor, cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They're faithful to live their lives true. They love one another. And from the widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care. They're faithful to live the way of Jesus. They're faithful. Living justly and soberly as the Lord, their God commanded them every morning and every hour, they give thanks and praise to God every morning and every hour. Thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness toward them and for their food and their drink. They offer thanksgiving to him. And I love how he closed this. And verily, this is a new people and there is something divine in the midst of them. Like they recognize God's presence with his people, this philosopher. Like there's something unique. There's something crazy going on here. There's something that marked him. And because of this, Christianity exploded all throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, the fact that we're, we're gathering, worshiping the Lord together here 2,000 years later has to do with the faithfulness of these people whose lives were radically transformed by Jesus and by the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And you know what led to that? Or you know what that led to? A lot of faithful daily actions by a lot of believers with a lot better reasons than us to be disheartened, afraid, and shrink back. So following Jesus requires faithfulness. It requires faithfulness. So Moses and the people, they do their part. They obey. They obey him. And then God shows up in a powerful way. And I love how the book of Exodus ends. Verse 34. 
Then, after they'd completed the work, after they had faithfully completed the task God gave them, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. In other words, the glory of the Lord is so thick, so present, so in the midst of them. that Moses says, I, I can't even go in, right? The cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord, it filled the tabernacle. Powerful, powerful. God shows up. God moves in a powerful way powerful way. Verse 36, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. They moved when God told them to move, right? Until the day it lifted. Verse 38, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travelers. See, as as Jesus followers, we're called to live our lives faithfully, even in the mundane, faithfully. Life isn't flashy most of the time. It's not always exciting. In fact, a good share of the time, it's not. Good share of the time, you're just getting up and doing your best to serve Jesus and make it through another day, right? But, As followers of Jesus, we are also called to be expectant that God will show up in powerful ways. See, it's never either or. And most people tend to live in in, in more of an either or. Like, I'm just going to read my Bible and and, and live in, you know, I'm going to just be faithful, work hard, be a good Christian, be a good citizen. But we're called to live both faithfully in the mundane and expectantly that God is going to show up in dramatic, powerful ways. Sometimes that the God who created everything is going to break through the mundane and show up in powerful ways. That's why we actually, we pray for for people to be healed because we know heard testimonies, seen God move. We know God does that. Doesn't always do that. I don't get why not, but there's moments when he breaks through and moves in, in, in dramatic, powerful ways. There's moments I've experienced in my life where I experienced that tangible sense of the presence of God that's just awesome, that just, you know, that's, that's intimidating, but awesome and, and draws you in all at the same time, right? We're called to live, uh, we have a phrase around here, both and. Both and. That we, we are faithful in the mundane, but both and, but we also expect God to show up in dramatic ways. It's not like being people of the word or being people of scripture or Holy Spirit led. It's both. Word and the spirit always align. They never contradict each other. See, and the goal of the tabernacle, the goal of the tabernacle is God dwelling in the midst of his people. That's why this is such a beautiful moment because God comes and it's the sign that I will dwell in the midst of my people, and, it, and, and his glory shows up, his presence shows up in such a powerful way that Moses can't even enter the tent of meeting right there. And see, what you got to understand is, you know, New Testament says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And so much of what we see in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are signposts in, in, in the law of God, in the, in the priesthood, in the sacrifices, they're signposts pointing to Jesus, pointing to a new covenant, a new covenant where God's presence will actually dwell in our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that in Acts we see Jesus promise the Holy Spirit and say, actually, if I, you know, it's better that I go be with my father because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And that's so hard for us to understand, right? We have the promise of Jesus that I will never leave you or forsake you. And we have the language like our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together, the body of Jesus, the church of Jesus is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. Those are signposts. It was pointing toward that. And even that, it's, it's like um, a deposit on the glorious reality of what will be the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns. 
where we will experience the fullness of God's presence in a way that we can only dream of now. Because I know from my life, and I'm guessing from your life, you have moments where it's like, oh, God is near. He's here. But can I be really honest for a second? I have moments too where I, I feel like, God, are you really there? Do, do you really indwell me? And it's like, oh yeah, I've experienced you in such powerful ways. But today, today it's hard to remember that. Today, this is going on. Today, I don't feel very spiritual. Or last week, I kind of blew it. And, and, and what happens in our hearts is we begin to actually wonder, like, are, are you really here? I'm guessing that's not just me. And Jesus promises, I am with you. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That everything that it will take to make it through what I'm calling you to go through, I will, it will be provided for you because I'm with you. I'm with you. So, That's how Exodus 40 ends. And here's what you have to know. Exodus, we started the series this way back in March, which seems like a lifetime ago now. Exodus is is part two of a five-part epic series that's part of a 66-book anthology, right? One consistent story. And yet, even though Exodus ends with this amazing note of the presence of God coming to these specific people, this specific people that God rescued out of Egypt. There's a sobering note and it comes a little bit later. You have Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, they're, they're at Mount Sinai. See, God will, they'll be camped out there with this tabernacle set up. In fact, the very next verse is the first verse of Leviticus, where it says the Lord spoke to Moses from the tent and actually gives him then, he goes on and gives him more of the law of God, the law that will structure their whole society and their, the system and the priesthood and the sacrifices and celebrations and feasts, all this stuff, right? And Leviticus is where um, a lot of your eyes glaze over in your annual um, Bible reading plan, right? But then you come to Numbers, and Numbers, you remember, God promises to deliver them, to take them into the promised land, to go before them in a powerful way. And so the story unfolds. They're, they're at Mount Sinai for almost a year from the time, you know, when, when they're, um, as they're at the mountain and God gives the law and Moses goes up for 40 days and comes down. Remember, this is the people. You got to refresh your memory. God has delivered them in a profound, incredible way from slavery in Egypt, judged the false idol gods of Egypt through the plagues in a profound way, brought them through the Red Sea, provided water for them out of the rock, provided for them daily manna on the ground that they've been eating now for over a year at this point. They've seen him provide. He met with them in a profound and powerful way on Mount Sinai. Then after they rebelled against him, instead of wiping them out and starting over, which was well within his holy, just right to do, he forgives them. He welcomes them in. He brings them back into covenant with himself. He reaffirms his covenant. He, he, he commissions them to build the tabernacle. And then in this incredible moment, right? His glory comes and fills the tabernacle in this sign that I am with you. My spirit, my presence is with you in a profound way. And then he leads them through the desert, through the desert. It's only about an 11 day journey from Mount Sinai up to the border of the promised land. This is the place. This is their destination. This is the place he's promised. This is the place he's promised to send his angel, his presence ahead of them to give the land into their hands. Right. And so they, they travel and they follow, you know, when the cloud lifts, they follow him. They don't get out ahead of him. It's so important. They follow him. And then as they get up to the edge of the promised land, they send in the spies 
12 spies. You heard of them probably in Sunday school. Joshua, Caleb, I don't remember any of the others' names. I don't know if we know their names, right? Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones who were faithful to God. They go all throughout the land, right? For 40 days, they spy out the land. And then they come back. And, and, and the land is, like God said, a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they come back with like a branch of grapes so big, they ca- they're carrying it on a pole before two guys. But then also, as they're spying out the land, they see some of the inhabitants of the land. And there's some really, really large people in the land. You can go back because this is an important part of the story. I don't have time to remind you of here today other than draw your mind back to it. There's giants in the land. And so they come back and, and here's their response. After they've seen God deliver them, forgive them, welcome them into covenant, show up in such a profound way, lead them, provide for them. Here's what happens. The spies come back. Numbers 13, verse 27. They, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Check it out. They point to this fruit they're carrying. Here's its fruit. So it does. It's good. God was right, but. Oh, that's dangerous. But. The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. There's giants in the land. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He's optimistic. He knows who's with him. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. 14, verse 1, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Verse three, listen to what they listen to, to their trust or their lack thereof in God. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's too scary. It's too unknown. There's too many giants in the land. We know what God has promised, but we're too scared to take a step. We're too scared to cross the border. In fact, we're so scared. We think we'd be better off to go and just go back to slavery live our lives in slavery. And the God who provided for them so powerfully and whose presence was with them so dramatically, this is the way they respond. And Joshua, who will end up leading the people into the promised land, but not these people. He gets up to try to talk them into it, to try to talk some sense into them. Verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of uh, Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. That's a symbol of grieving and and a symbol of just being in shock, right? And, And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only, verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. They said they're going to devour us. Now Joshua says, no, don't be afraid of them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is what? Is with us. So do not be afraid of them. The Lord is with us. Of course, we can't do this on our own. Of course, there's big people there. Of course, there's giants in the land. And of course, we can't take it on our own. But guys, the Lord is with us. Have you forgotten everything that he's done for us along the way? 
Have you got, forgotten the fact that you got up this morning and gathered manna from the desert floor and ate it? <sighs> Mind blown. Now they've just gotten used to that. Their, their, their way of thinking now is not what has God done for me, but what has done, God done for me today? Except it wasn't because they, they forgot. Like literally that day they got up and God provided for them. In fact, right after this, Joshua gets up and it says the people were almost, were talking about stoning them, like picking up stones, killing them with stones. The author of Psalms, the psalmist who is echoed by the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says this about this incident. I think these are very good words for you and I to hear. It says, today, if you if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they you did at Meribah. And as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, they tried me though. They had seen what I did for 40 years. I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they may not have known. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. See the journey from Mount Sinai to the promised land should have taken about 11 days. It would end up taking this people 40 years because God says, I, I cannot take this people with this lack of trust in me into this land and start my new nation with them. And so this people that had grown up as slaves and had seen the power of God in such dramatic ways, as I I would say, just about probably no people in history has ever experienced the Red Sea. As they'd experienced God in, in such dramatic ways. And yet he says, from your lack of trust, from your lack of faith, you don't get to go into the land. Your kids are going to go in. Everyone 20 and under right now. Is going to go in. The rest of you, we're just going to do some laps around the desert for 40 years. Your son that would have been 10 and taking his place in the promised land will now be 50 when he enters the promised land. Moses prepared to go in. He won't get to go in either. Joshua and Caleb are the only two out of this group that will end up going into the promised land. And I give you the first half of that statement. Here's the second half of that statement. Following Jesus requires faithfulness and courage to trust. Faithfulness and courage to trust. So much of life is this battle of fear based or fear versus courage, right? And so much of faith is that way that God calls us to trust him in a circumstance. Faith without works or faith without trusting God is, is dead. I, I used to go rappelling up at Camp Red Cloud and I love telling this story. Some of you remember that camp up in the San Juan Mountains, beautiful place. And you would get up to the edge of the hill. Well, hill, it was a 110 foot cliff, right? And they'd strap you in and you'd back up to it. And then they would say, what would they say? They would say, lean back. And as much as you could stand up there, because they just gave you the talk that like this rope, this little rope holds, could hold a Volkswagen van, you know? You're, you're no problem. As much as you might intellectually acknowledge that until you walk up to that edge, you back up and you push the rope through and you lean back over the edge of that cliff. Um, you don't really trust the rope. And faith is that way. There's a courage that's required to trust God. First comes in trusting God for your salvation, that you place your faith and trust fully in Jesus. That's the, that's the heart of John three sixteen. believe in the way those words go together. It's trust in, put your full trust in Jesus, not for something you can do to earn your way to God, but your full trust in him for your faith, for your salvation. 
But then trusting God is every single day after that as well. See, and they got right up to the border of what God had for them. And then they shrunk back in fear. And it's so easy for you and I to get to the border of where God is calling us to go, even as his followers and shrink back. It's so easy just to live life and and think, well, I'm being faithful and being mundane. But guess what? Sometimes he calls you to take a step that's beyond the place you're at right now and trust him in a deeper way. This is the second half of that equation. Faithfulness in the mundane, but God is alive and active. We expect he's going to show up. We expect he's going to lead us. We expect he's going to guide us just like he did them. And the Holy Spirit guides us. And what that reveals when we choose to either say, yes, I'm going to obey or no, I'm not going to obey. It reveals our level of actual trust in God. See, we can intellectually say we trust you, God. But the level of fear we experience in our life and the question of whether we will be able to take the step that God's calling us to take in spite of that actually reveals our trust in God. And usually that happens when we get up to the border of the unknown in our lives. Sometimes those look like big things, starting a ministry. Um, I've told over and over, you know, the story of when we started the church and had to decide at a moment, are we going to go for this full time when there just wasn't any salary there, but we knew God was calling us to do it. You know, sometimes it's moments like those where it feels like a really big deal. Um, Maybe for you, maybe that's starting a business or a venture. You've been like dreaming and you know God's saying, go for it. And yet there's all this fear, right? For some, maybe even uprooting your life and and going into missions. We have friends that have done that. And it's a big step. For many of us, though, because we don't feel like God's calling us into a quote-unquote major big deal thing, we lose sight of the, the, the borders every day that God wants us to cross. That God's asking you to have that conversation with your coworker, right? Hey, open your mouth and ask to pray for them. And you know, cause you feel the sense of the leading and the prompting of the Holy spirit. And you can't like just dismiss it and get rid of it. And God says, Hey, I want you to invite so-and-so to church. I want you to get involved. My circle, my responsibility. I want you to get involved with that family. I want you to invite them to our holiday series or have them over to your home to watch it with them, right? I'm calling you to reach out to somebody. For some, honestly, um, some of you singles, it's getting married, right? It's taking that step. It's, it's saying, okay, uh, actually, I think God's saying we should have kids and we're scared and, you know, we got all these things to figure out as a married couple in our lives and careers and whatever, but uh, I think that's what God's calling us to actually committing to something in life. Young people um, getting, getting over your FOMO, your fear of missing out by actually making a choice, right? It's a big deal. Learning to learning to trust him. And that thing he's saying, I want you to, I want you to do this. You need to do this. And you know what? So many times the reason we shrink back is because the thing we see, I mean, it's the proverbial giants, right? It's too big for us. The truth is God typically won't ask you to do something significant that you don't need him for. In fact, it's kind of insulting to God to think that you've got it all under control. And you know, it's possible. And I think this should be sobering for us as followers of Jesus. It's possible to know God, but to miss out on the adventure of serving him. It's possible to have, you know, to be faithful in the mundane and yet still miss out on the adventure of the thing he's calling us to, to miss out on the adventure of, of serving him in the area he's calling to you to. They're offered the promised land, yet they shrink back in fear. They want to go back to slavery. They miss their opportunity. Following Jesus requires faithfulness and courage to trust him. Faithfulness. Life isn't always flashy. It's mundane. It's repetitive. But then there's those moments where you know that he's tapping you on the shoulder and he's calling you to step into that. So let me just ask you, 
Is there a step of faithfulness or a step of courage you need to take as we close? I want to invite Winston up and Winston's going to close our service here today. What if you feel like right, right now, like I'm in the desert, right? I, I missed it. I, I said, no, I, I didn't. I shrunk back in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. You're like, I know that, but I, but I was afraid. And I said, no, and I feel like I've missed it. You know what? There's always grace and mercy. That's what we're promised in Hebrews, grace and mercy in our time of need. And there's this really cool verse in the Old Testament. It says he can restore the years the locusts have eaten. I think at any point when we turn back and we say, you know what? I have not been obedient in this area of my life. I want to turn back and follow you. I believe God honors that. And God will do something good, even with that season of life where maybe you weren't honoring God or you haven't been, right? And you just be faithful and wait for him to meet you where you're at, right? Is there a step of faithfulness or a step of courage in trusting him that you need to take? And for those that maybe as we close um, in a song, some of you are skeptics in the room. You're like, I just don't even yet know about all this Jesus stuff, right? I want to encourage you. Would you have the courage to keep seeking him? To, To not give up on getting your questions answered? to keep asking, to keep pressing in, maybe keep attending, just to keep pursuing Jesus. Just keep pursuing him. Some of you, you've been doing that for a long time and you know in your heart, you're ready. You know in your heart that it's true, but you still haven't said, okay, yes, I'm going to take the step. I'm going to cross the border. And for you, that first border that he's calling you to is to cross over into faith and trust in him. If that's you, I want to encourage you to say yes today. Take that step of faith, of courage, of obedience. Press through the fear. Be faithful in whatever he's calling you to do.